Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you. Certainly lovely spring weather at the morn, at the moment. Yesterday was really gorgeous, even though it had been forecast that we were going to get some showers. Certainly where I was yesterday, there wasn't any showers. It really was just a lovely, lovely spring day. And it looks like more of the same uh, today and tomorrow as well. So if you can get out and get a bit of exercise or spend some time in the garden, that's what we suggest you do during this fine spell of weather. And of course, talking of spending some time in the garden, it is Wednesday. So Peter Dowdle will join us later on on the programme today. If you have a gardening question already, somebody's in with a gardening question bright and early for Peter. Thank you for that. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Text and WhatsApp also up and running at 0862 103 103. Already texts coming into us and I want to give a mention to this because I, I saw this online yesterday and made a kind of a mental note. I must mention that uh, to people. There is a new scam text doing the rounds it purports to come from the Irish government and it's a a text saying that the Irish government has decided to pay everybody 350 euro to help people get through the pandemic and the principle of it seems great and wouldn't it be lovely if the government was giving everybody 350 euro but unfortunately it's a scam and of course when you get this text message they ask you to click a link, do not click the link and do not engage with these people in any way and just immediately delete the text but it seems to be the latest scam doing the rounds and it'll start slowly but it'll build and build and before you know it uh, loads and loads of people will be getting it and unfortunately some people will get duped by this scam text and that's all these scam artists need. All they need is to catch a couple of people a few people and they can send out you know, tens of thousands of these text messages and they're all computer generated it isn't somebody physically pressing the buttons on a phone and sending out a text message so they're computer generated so tens of thousands of them will go out and if even even only 1% of people decide to click on it, they'll have made their, well made their money. So beware of that. A scam text purporting to be from the government telling us all we're getting €350. And in the last half an hour when I was 
speaking with Ken on the programme and teeing up what was coming on the programme here today. I was talking about a piece we're going to be doing later on in this hour about wildlife and how people, how we need to be careful when we decide to do an intervention on wildlife. And we do it all for the best of intentions. We think a little wild animal is in trouble, is in distress, it's been abandoned, it's about to die. And people, we the humans, try to get involved instead of leaving nature, because nature is very good at looking after itself. There are times when you have to do an intervention but for the majority of times you don't need to intervene at all and that often when you look at an animal and you think that this little wild animal has been left and it's injured or it's abandoned there can be a parent of that animal hovering very close by terrified that you're going to pick up the small one and take it away and unfortunately it looks like that's what people are doing with the best of intentions so we're going to get advice from some wildlife experts on the programme today but that led to Ken talking about the story of the bird as he was sitting down reading his book out getting a bit of sunshine yesterday and a bird just flew past him, hit his patio door, hit the window, smashed, kind of uh, stunned itself and dropped into a bucket and it looked like Ken did all the right thing by very carefully placing it into a box, put it into a dark, quiet area, left it for an hour to sort of get over the fright at what had happened and then it sailed off back into the sunset and it flew away and hopefully it'll live for many, many more years uh, to come, even though we're still... Ken showed me a picture of the bird. It's just this long, very, very long pointed beak. Never seen anything uh, like it. So we're trying to get the bird, the particular bird identified. But that has led to somebody saying, I heard you talking to Ken about birds and the bird flying into the window. What I'd like to know this morning, does anybody know why birds keep flying into windows non-stop? I know when birds sit at a window and peck at it, it's because they're seeing their own reflection and they think it's another bird and they're trying to attack the other bird or they're trying to get rid of the other bird. But a bird just flying into a window like what happened with uh, Ken, I, I don't know if it was anything to do with it seeing its reflection or not and was it trying to attack its reflection or could it have been that our Ken's windows are so clean that the bird flew into it not realising that it was a window? So I'm not too sure why birds actually will fly at great speed into a window, smack and then, you know, stun itself like what happened with Ken. But maybe there's somebody out there that does uh, know. But certainly birds attacking a window, that is to do with reflection. And we've dealt with that before on the programme. And we got all kinds of suggestions to try to help people stop the birds attacking them a particular window are just causing a general nuisance to the people inside in the house. But why a bird was suddenly flying, hit the window, stunned itself, I don't know. 1850-333-103. Now it seems up to 100,000 people, including those with underlying illnesses who are at serious risk from coronavirus, as well as healthcare workers, are all now going to miss out on a COVID-19 vaccine this week because the decision was taken by the HSE to cancel giving the AstraZeneca vaccine for most people. They are continuing and will give it to people over the age of uh, 60. But the majority of people who were due to get a AstraZeneca vaccine shot this week. All of those clinics now have been cancelled. Yesterday we were looking at about 15,000 people had an appointment cancelled for yesterday. We thought maybe it was just going to be one day and that they would move in with other vaccines instead. But no, the HSE have decided to cancel all of the rest of the AstraZeneca vaccines for the people under the age of 60 for the rest of the week. And what's really disappointing here from 
the HSE's point of view and from the rollout of the vaccine's point of view, this was due to be what was being deemed a breakthrough week. Up to 180,000 vaccines were due to be given out this week. And of course, now we know that the 100,000 of the AstraZeneca ones have been uh, halted for those, um, now for those the over 70s, because they're getting the Pfizer and the Moderna, they'll still uh, go ahead and there'll be a small number uh, on, uh, a small number as well, over uh, 60 that will continue to get vaccinated uh, this week. But unfortunately we're not now going to have this breakthrough week whereas at the end of this week, I imagine Paul Reid of the HSC would have been coming out and saying we have vaccinated the most people to date and we did it this week. That certainly is not going to happen. And then if we thought things couldn't get any worse when it came to vaccinations, as we closed the programme yesterday, the news came through that Johnson and uh, Johnson, which is due to supply around 40,800 vaccines for this week alone, they now have decided to postpone delivery to Europe. And this is after what happened in America. The US regulators there are investigating a small number of blood clots in people who got the the vaccine. Uncertainty now hangs over the 600,000 doses of the Johnson & Johnson what has been billed as the Game Changer vaccination. They were scheduled to arrive here by the end of June and they are the Game Changer because it's a one-dose vaccine. You get it, you take one shot and then two weeks later you are fully vaccinated. There are growing fears now that the target to have more than 80% of the population having received at least one dose of the vaccine by the end of June, a key element of release from lockdown. There is really now growing concern that that figure is not going to be met. I mean, we discussed it yesterday as well. Unless they, the government can replace the vaccines that they were due to get from both AstraZeneca and from Johnson & Johnson, if they can look to Pfizer, if they can look to Moderna to say, can you make up the shortfall? If either of those companies can't make up the shortfall, I don't know how it is going to be possible to meet that target of 80% having at least one vaccination by the end of June. The government is now considering an extension to the gap between the first and the second doses of the Pfizer vaccine and that would be in some way an attempt to address the fallout caused by the concerns with AstraZeneca and now with Johnson & Johnson. At the moment, people who receive the Pfizer vaccine, they currently wait for four weeks, 28 days and then they go back and they get their second dose. However, this may now be extended to allow more people to get their first COVID-19 Pfizer jab while the national vaccine programme is scrambling to reorganise itself to take into account changes to the public health device on the AstraZeneca. The gap between the first and the second doses of Pfizer in this country it's four weeks but it ranges from four weeks to 12 weeks in some other countries so we wouldn't be the first country to decide we'll give you your first Pfizer jab and then we will wait and we will call you back in in 12 weeks time. It has happened in other countries even though Pfizer recommend that you get the the shot after four weeks but the reason they recommend that is that's the way their clinical trials say that the Pfizer vaccine works best. It's not to say it is the only way that you could get the Pfizer vaccine. The vaccine dose uh, if they went with it then would be given to people under the age of 60 who have underlying conditions leaving them at a very high risk of if they were to catch 
uh, COVID-19. A study showed the Pfizer vaccine, it's 85% effective at preventing systematic COVID-19 within 15 to 28 days. That's after the first shot was administered. I mean, that is very, very high efficacy after one shot. 85% effective on day 15 while people are still waiting to get their second uh, shot. So we'll wait and see what's going to happen there. I know that the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, is due to meet with the Vaccination Programme Task Force head, that's uh, Professor Brian McCrith today, to discuss the fallout from NIAC's recommendations. The HSE is also looking to at bringing forward the launch of its portal, which will be open to members of the public to register for a vaccine for the first time. Now, the portal could be opened later on this week. It was expected that it would open sometime next week. But the HSE are now saying they may open it later this week and they'll open it up to people aged over 60, asking them to register their details for the vaccine. And then it would begin by giving out the AstraZeneca vaccine to those aged over 65. So the 65 to 69 year age group, it would mean that those in that age group who do not qualify for a vaccine on grounds of underlying illness would be offered the AstraZeneca and they could be offered that as early as sometime uh, next uh, week. Now, the acting chief medical officer, Roland Glynn, addressed the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday and he heard that TDs all over the country were receiving phone calls from people very anxious about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Dr. Glynn said there was a bumpy road ahead, not just here in Ireland, but he said in other countries around the vaccine rollout. And he says there were, he reckons there were about 20 to 30 percent of people who have legitimate questions about vaccines. And he accepts that those questions need to be addressed. You can't fob people off. If people have a genuine question, then they need the answers and they need to feel confident and comfortable about getting the uh, vaccine. However, Dr. Ronan Glynn still stands over the safety and the effectiveness of AstraZeneca vaccine for the age groups who are now being offered it. And of course, the age groups that are now being offered it are at the over uh, 60s. And I know yesterday we were not the only radio station. I think radio stations all over the country were inundated with people who had worries and concerns. We had a huge volume of people, particularly people in that over 60s uh, cohort who Nayak have said it's okay to give the over 60s 60s to 69 year olds it's okay to give them the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine a lot of people in that age group are extremely worried and they're bothered about it and the main thrust of the cause we were getting in yesterday were from people saying well if they're saying there's concerns on people under the age of 60 and we know they're not giving it to the over 70s why are people in that 10 year age group from the age of 60 up to 69. People are just saying, why are we uh, okay to get it? Now, some of your calls already coming in on this. Uh, Michael says, Patricia, Dr. Anthony Fauci, fantastic guy. And he's a guy that I listen to, I have to say, and hugely, hugely uh, respected. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, last night said that out of the 6.8 million people who are vaccinated with Johnson and Johnson vaccine in the States. Six women were affected with clotting issues. They were between the ages of 18 and 48. They all developed symptoms within 13 days of receiving the Johnson and Johnson jab. One sadly died and another has been hospitalised and is in a critical critical condition. But if you break down those figures, that works out at less than one in a million. Vaccination was immediately suspended for a few days until the cause 
of the setback is clarified. Remember, says Michael, at the beginning a year ago, we all thought that we would be waiting for a few years for a vaccine. Now we are here. We just need a little patience. So don't listen to social media. Just listen to what comes from the lips of people like Dr. Anthony Fauci. And that is from uh, Michael. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. And it's true. Again, it's a very, very small number of cases. And actually, if you think back to when the Pfizer jabs, because it was the Pfizer jabs were the first uh, to be administered. When they were first given out, remember there was a couple of cases of people going into anaphylactic uh, shock and there was a huge question mark over it and some people were very nervous and very worried. Now it turned out it was people who had history of anaphylactic shock and then that was put down as one of sort of the warnings when it came to the Pfizer jab. So as with all vaccines, there are unfortunately going to be some cases and with this it's it's clotting. Uh, so it's an abundance of caution, I think, are all of the reasons why the powers that be decide to put a pause on something, put a halt on something. Let's look at it and let's be absolutely sheer, sure that we know what we're doing and that we are giving it to the right cohort of people. And then somebody that's in that over 60s age group, a Kerry listener says, Patricia, regulatory bodies governing vaccines and the government are really upsetting me because it looks convenient for them to say the over 60s can safely get AstraZeneca when other countries have much more stringent safety and realistic guidelines in place for use of these vaccines governing their safety. As somebody over the age of uh, 60, we should all be up in arms with the government because I feel I'm being scapegoated when it comes to my second AstraZeneca shot. I won't be taking it. Why should I? With the statistics that are out there now in the public domain uh, concerning their safety and that's from, from a Kerry listener. I'll just say to you though and I absolutely understand your concerns Just, to, but if you are looking at the statistics the, the, the statistics and we spoke about them yesterday are minuscule. They are tiny when you look at the number of people who've received the vaccine who didn't have any clotting uh, issue. The numbers that did, it works out between 4 and 10 in a million. Uh, It's a very, very small proportion. When you put that up against yesterday, we had that graph that I spoke about when that's how many people who have had a clotting incident after getting the jab and then it was between 500 and 1200 women who take the pill will get a clotting incident and then the the number, you know, went up even further. It was like, it was a staggering figure, the number of people who had a clotting incident because they got COVID. So you have to weigh all of that up as well. And just on the, the decision to limit the vaccine to the over 60s and not to offer it to anyone younger, that was made by uh, NIAC. They say that they drew the line at age 60 uh, because and another point that you made uh, other countries, other countries have drawn the line at 60 and other countries have drawn the line at 55 and England have drawn the line at 30. They are the only ones that have gone that young. But it seems to be between 55 and 60 is the age group right across most of the European countries and Canada as well. Anyway, the reason that NIAC, they drew the line at 60 because the European's Medicines Agency, which investigated the reports of blood clots with the vaccine, said all the cases were in people under the age of 60. They didn't have any cases of blood clotting in people over the age of 60. However, NIAC erred on the conservative side and opted for a safety margin. For somebody aged 60 or over, the risks of getting severely ill from COVID-19 far outweigh those 
of developing a blood clot by getting the actual vaccine. The younger age groups can also develop severe COVID-19 disease and long COVID, but their risks are lower. So they're trying to get the balancing act right. If you are over 60 and God forbid you got COVID-19, you are at a much higher risk of getting severely ill, you could even die die from it. And that's why you've got to balance it all out and say, do you take this very minuscule risk of a blood clot against the higher, much, much more higher risk of getting picking up COVID-19 and ending up seriously ill or, God forbid, dying. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Ken's bird story of the bird that flew into the window as Ken was sitting out basking in the sunshine reading his book yesterday and the poor old bird got stunned. It's been identified, by the way, it's a snipe bird, which really proves that all of us here at C103 do not know our birds at all. We could, we were not able to identify it because of the long beak. Never seen a beak so long on a bird. So a snipe bird was what it was. Mary said that bird that flew into Ken's window probably didn't realise it was an open space and uh, thought it was an open space and just obviously just thought it was going to fly uh, through it. James in Cloyne uh, says, swallows flying over my head this morning here in Cloyne. I want to ask why are those swallows not quarantining? A number of people actually yesterday as well, we had a few texts in from people saying that they've seen a number of swallows. The swallows have uh, certainly returned. And thanks to Dick who sent on a little video of a little bird in his garden that looked a bit stunned as well. But he made a full recovery with a little bit of TLC. And Dick says probably what happened in Ken's case, could it have been a sun room with there's windows on both sides. They think it's a straight fly through and birds often get confused and they will fly through a sun, you know, they'll hit the window thinking that it is a fly uh, through. And hi Trish, just on the birds flying into the window, it's probably down to the birds. Could could the bird have been in a state of panic? Some birds get into a state of panic if they're being chased by birds of prey. The birds of prey are protected so they're very much overpopulated. That's why we've seen such decline in our songbirds. Oh, I didn't realise that. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. As the public health restrictions begin to ease, the continued ban on click and collect services for the so-called non-essential retail has been described is mystifying by Ireland's Small Medium Enterprise Association. Joining me from ISME, their CEO, Neil MacDonald. Good morning to you, Neil. Uh, sorry, wrong buttons press. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, with the 5K travel limit lifted, all pupils back to school and most construction workers headed back on Monday, had you been hopeful that Click and Collect would also have resumed this week? Absolutely. Um, the, the, the figures, the epidemiology figures available to us before Christmas suggested that so-called non-essential retail, uh, the likes of clothing, uh, footwear, um, uh, jewellery, uh, played no part in viral transmission when those shops were open. Um, and the government, to be fair to them, concede that point. But they say, look, if we, if we open the doors, we encourage people uh, to travel more. So we were quite surprised when um, they didn't uh, at least allow them a limited degree of opening by a click and collect. Uh, we were surprised. We were very disappointed because the longer this degree of lockdown 
is inflicted on these businesses, the fewer of them that are going to be viable when, when the lockdown is lifted. And while, you know, shops want to reopen and people want shops to reopen, but when Click and Collect was uh, there, I mean, it, it did it work efficiently for businesses? It's not the ideal, but I mean, I, I'm assuming it keeps it kept some businesses afloat. Not alone that, but I mean, we, we've spoken to some local businesses and one of the interesting things, every Christmas we run a, a shop local campaign, but some of our small retailers, which we were delighted to hear, they actually had the best Christmas in years Fantastic. as a result of people um, actually taking the, the shop local message to heart for Christmas. So, because because obviously there was a huge worry that with non-essential retail closed, uh, people would all revert to Amazon and, and other online uh, shopping offers, which would decimate the local um, economy. But a huge number of people actually got involved and really did participate in that message. And, and some of our jewellers and, and clothes retailers uh, and and um you know, what, what is often called fancy goods, had, had a really good Christmas. But the absence of click and collect means now that there are no sales for them whatsoever. Or, but, but bar those that have a, a, de, a delivery uh, online presence, then they have no sales at all. Have many businesses made that transition to online sales? Not enough uh, not not enough to keep a lot of businesses viable and t- to be honest you, you know developing an online sales and delivery uh, presence is actually very difficult people think it's just a matter of putting up a website with a payment portal and away you go but it's it requires a whole new marketing uh, chain and, and a whole new marketing effort and a delivery effort and also if you're in the business of clothing or footwear you you get into this horrible expression called reverse logistics where the customer uh, where the item doesn't fit the person or Mm. they don't like it and you have to take it back so while people are wont to say very easily uh, in a moment of um of opinion that uh, people should go online or business should go online, actually executing an online sales and marketing strategy is extremely difficult. And then, does it, is it an added frustration for some businesses that you you can click and collect food, but yet not non-essential items? Well, well it, there's... Yeah, there's both available. Obviously, in um, in grocery retail, you can you you effectively have three options. In grocery retail, you can go to the shop, which is still obviously permitted because it's essential. You can click and collect, or you or you can have delivery. So the supermarkets have have three routes to your door. Um, the uh, th- those small businesses that have a delivery function can deliver, but again, a, a lot of people, um, unless they're dealing with very homogenous goods or electronic goods, they do really like to feel and sample the goods. And click and collect was was a, a medium point between those. So those businesses at the moment do not have a, a viable sales alternative. Do you know what are Neffet's and the government's reasoning for not allowing Click and Collect to resume this week? Beyond their objection to any reopening of non-essential, which is um, which is the point they have made consistently to the retail uh, representatives, which is 
we, we acknowledge that the disease does not uh, transmit in the typical retail setting where people are socially distanced and are maintaining uh, hand hygiene and respiratory etiquette, but um, it does result in an increase in passenger journeys and people journeys, either by car or on public transport, and it does lead to congregation of people in, in certain places. Beyond that reasoning, we don't understand, but, I mean, click and collect is, relatively speaking, an exceptionally low-risk um, activity. And, you know, short of fully reopening uh, non-essential outlets, we really do think that there's an onus now on the government to reconsider uh, click and collect very, very quickly indeed. And as you say, the evidence is there from previous lockdowns when click and collect was allowed. It worked very efficiently. I mean, I witnessed it myself. I took part in it myself. I saw people. And if you did turn up and there was somebody else in the shop, if it was a small shop, people waited outside. People did the social uh, distancing. I mean, they weren't super spreading events. No. And again, we're, we're back to the point that the, the government effectively concedes that point, but they're saying it's 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 the journey from and to. It is the taking of people out of the home setting where they're asking people to effectively self-isolate. And that is what they con- consider to be the risky activity rather than the actual click and collect itself. But what, what we would say is on a, a, a relative scale of risk, uh, the the danger to the economy as we go forward and as we progressively exit lockdown, the greater danger is now that we will have thousands of businesses who, unless they're able to engage in some form of sales activity, are never going to recover from this lockdown. And it's already too late for some, but others can be rescued if they're allowed to conduct a certain amount of retail activity now via click and collect. We're heading into the fourth month. We're, we're into the into the fourth month. Have you any time frame? A listener wants to know on when non-essential retail will reopen, be it for click and collect or in the ideal world a full reopen. Any time? Well, unfortunately, not. No, uh, that has not been communicated to us or any of the other retail representatives. Now, to be fair, we have not, you know pushed government into declaring a date, what we've said is set targets for yourselves in terms of if we get the case rate per 100,000, the infections per 100,000 down to a certain level, if we get the ICU beds down to a certain level, if we get the vaccination rate up to a certain level, then tell us what you're going to do. But unfortunately, communication of the road out of lockdown is, is not as good as we would like it to be. Okay, all right, we leave it there uh, Neil, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks Patricia. Good morning to you, that is uh, Neil MacDonald who is the CEO of ISME. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Members of the public are unintentionally kidnapping healthy animals by bringing them to the National Wildlife Hospital when they're not injured and they haven't been abandoned. That's according to Wildlife Rehabilitation 
Education Ireland who run the charity service. Joining me is Aoife McParkin, who is Education Officer with the Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland. Good morning to you, Aoife. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. What type of animals are people wrongly trying to uh, rescue and why do you believe it's happening? Okay, I suppose, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, I don't want to be giving out about people because obviously they are aware of wildlife and more importantly, they're helping them. So that is a good thing. But it's about differentiating between when an animal needs to be helped and when it needs to be left alone. And this time of year is our busiest time of year because it's breeding season. So all the animals are having their young from now on for the next few months. So what happens is we mostly see this with leverets, which are baby hares, um, rabbits and birds and birds will be the most common because a bird when it leaves the nest is called a fledgling and a fledgling has to spend some time on the ground learning to fly so exercising the flight muscles you can imagine them all squashed in the nest they wouldn't be doing much flapping around so they leave the nest and they're on the ground for a few days and this is kind of the confusion then people see these little birds on the ground and they think they can't fly and they're quite right they can't fly but that's perfectly normal. They are exercising the muscles, they're learning to fly, and it takes them a few days. So that's just confusion. And people are looking at the window and they see this little guy and he's hopping around the garden and he looks like he can't take off and they rush out to rescue him, when in fact, it's absolutely fine. So what's the advice? You keep it, because it's the confusion on, is that a little fledgling trying to learn to fly or is it a bird with an injured wing? I think and people, mm. some people rush in. So what's the advice? How do you handle yeah. it? Yeah, okay. So I think my little tagline is, if in doubt, give us a shout. So ring us on our helpline. We don't just, you know, answer calls for rescues. We have great helpline staff who offer great advice as well. So if you were looking out your window and you see a little bird that's hopping around but doesn't seem to be able to fly, ring us. And I'll give you the helpline number. It's 0818 But also what you can do is observe because a healthy bird will look healthy. So if it's hopping around and looking relatively normal, except that it can't fly, it is most likely a fledgling at this time of year. It's just exercising the muscles. You might be lucky enough to see mom and dad hopping in and out, giving it some food. And what you probably notice is even over the course of one day, they can go from hopping on the ground to kind of being able to fly up to a low wall or a plant pot. And then the next day they can fly up to your garden furniture and then the next day they're gone. So it's observe as well. And it's a nice little thing to watch, you know, and you, you can tell they're healthy because they are hopping around and they look generally healthy apart from the fact that they can't take off. If a bird is ill, it's more obvious because it generally doesn't move around. It's very, very quiet, very, very still. And if you approach it, it might attempt to leave. But if there's something wrong with one of the wings, it would be very obvious. The wing won't move. You might see an open wound on it. You might see some feathers missing. So observation is great. If you can observe or give us a shout, that would be our main advice. And the same would go for the baby hares, the leverets. Um, they're left alone all day by their mothers, which doesn't sound great, but that's, that's the nature. <laughs> and the mother's out getting food, is it? Or hunting the mother, food? Yeah. That's exactly right. She's gone off to get the food and she is gone for the whole day and she doesn't kind of leave them very often in the greatest of places. They are very exposed a lot of the time out in a field or even sometimes on a verge, which is not that common, but it has happened. Um, and people see this tiny, fluffy little thing and they think... A, it's a rabbit, which they rarely are. They're usually leverets, which are little hares. Um, and B, it's injured or abandoned or orphaned, whatever. So they lift it. But again, 
mom comes back in the evening and the little one is gone. Aww. So I would think give us a call. That is your best bet. Give us a ring and we can advise you on the best course of action. A, a very stressful effect then on both the young and on the parent if you it take is, them away. It is indeed. And, you know, if you think about it as well, like we have a lot of animals here in already. You know, the first birds to be born are kind of robins and blackbirds. And we have some, unfortunately, in here now. We have a handful of blackbirds and, and one one little lonely robin fledgling <laughs> by himself. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about the fact that they are, birds in particular are flock animals. So they do... They do need to be with their kind. They need to be in a flock, you know. Um, and then the leverets, of course, are just when they're lifted, they're very, very, very young. So they're very delicate and it's extremely stressful and it's the stress alone can kill them. So, um, yeah, I think if people could just give us a call and don't, don't stop looking out for wildlife. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant that people are so aware of it. But it's just to know what to do if you come across it and always ring for advice if you've any doubt at all. Yeah, and I, I take it it's because so many people are out and about getting their exercise that that's the, it's the actual pandemic has led to this increase in calls. Yeah, it absolutely has. And we, we saw a huge increase last year. Um, the helpline took 5,600 calls last year, which was phenomenal. It was more than double in the previous year. So um, definitely, and I think people also are sitting in their gardens, so they're noticing birds hopping around and stuff. And mm. actually, what I might add, if you don't mind as well, is about this time of year, unfortunately, it's kind of a bad time in that we get out into our gardens and we start clipping things and trimming things. And this is when our garden is actually busiest for wildlife. So the birds are nesting, they're breeding, the hedgehogs are waking up, and we're kind of disturbing it all, if you know what I mean, because we're also getting busy in the garden. So what I would say to people is, before they go at anything with a shears or a strimmer in particular, we have some hedgehogs in here at the moment with catastrophic strimmer injuries. Um, just look into the hedge, look look under it, look into the tree. You know, don't just go at it. Maybe check it first. And if there's something living there, give us a call if you're not sure what to do. But just be careful. And some of our listeners are, are doing great things. There's one listener was on to say uh, and sent on a lovely picture to me of a female fox comes into my daughter's house for food. Uh, she looks like she's feeding her young ones. I mean, oh, you can help wildlife in that way, can't you? And absolutely. by providing food. And then you love this one. This is from Joe says, uh, Patricia, I was out with my granddaughter yesterday on the green area in the estate where they live. Well, one of them spotted a little hedgehog who was bound up in a net of the goalposts it was wrapped oh. tight around its neck and underneath one of its front legs he was actually struggling to breathe I got one of the neighbours out to help and we cut the netting I didn't think he would have made it if we didn't I lifted him up with, into my cardigan and I put him in a place where I had spotted him before and then I watched him and after about five minutes he started to sh- shuffle off my granddaughter was jumping around with <laughs> de- uh, delight uh, we're going to see if we can get the goalposts moved because we now think that that particular area is a run made by the hedgehogs and the goalposts are in the way but that's the kind of way you can you can get involved and help Absolutely that's fantastic well done to them I mean absolutely and it is amazing because it's exactly we would see a lot of constriction injuries coming in and exactly that hedgehogs and goalposts badgers in uh, uh, goal netting 
that kind of thing as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Think about where you're putting things or take them away if you can. Take mm. them away at the end of the day because that's when most of the animals are out. Most of them are nocturnal and they're out at night. So you're not using the goals. Take them in if you can. Wrap up the netting if you can. And like that, leave out food. Absolutely. I mean, foxes in particular, unfortunately, you know, do struggle a bit you know a lot of people don't like them and you know all in all honesty they're an absolute privilege I mean imagine watching a family of foxes growing up in your garden wouldn't that just be so lovely mm. um, so by all means for all animals even if you just leave out a dish of water they'll appreciate it greatly yeah and well done to Joe. I think it's lovely that her granddaughter got involved because her granddaughter Absolutely. will and her granddaughter will remember that story and carry that on then that love of animals you instill in children a love of animals and it's one of the greatest things I think you can do uh, for children and a respect as well you know we all have to live together and you know harmony is the greatest thing if we we respect them and they just go on their way and they don't bother us in the slightest you know well I think if you can be kind to animals and if you can instill in children a love and an appreciation and a kindness for animals they will grow up then and if you can love and respect animals, you'll go on to love and respect humans. If you can't hurt an animal, you're hardly going to hurt a human being. Well, that's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. You're so right, Patricia. That's exactly it. And that's what we we do with our education talks and schools and that. It's just about engaging the children and giving them a love for nature. OK, well done. Now, give us that telephone number again, um, Aoife. Yes, indeed. It's 0818 Okay, and our own breakfast show uh, DJ, uh, Ken, this morning when I was talking about you coming on the programme was telling me that he was sitting in the garden yesterday and we had to get the bird identified. It turned out it was a snipe, this bird with the long beak. uh, Hit the window, a massive slap right beside where Ken was sitting. Got startled, ended up in a bucket, was completely stunned. So, Ken very gently picked up the bird, put him into a box, put him into a dark area for oh, an hour, brilliant. quiet place, and then went back after an hour, opened up the box and the snipe flew off. So he, did, he did the right thing as well. That so, is the perfect thing to do. Absolutely brilliant. So we're, we're looking after the wildlife down oh, here in Cork. You know, they're all safe down there. <laughs> Listen, you, mi- you, you mind yourself, Aoife. Pleasure to talk to you and stay safe. Likewise. Thanks, Thanks a million. Bye bye, bye 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 bye. Aoife McPartland there, Education Officer with the Wildlife Rehabilitation Army. Ireland. We can all do our bit to look after our wildlife for sure. John Paul is taking your calls at 1850 You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We'll take a look at your calls and comments that will be coming in while news is on at 11 and in the next hour we hear about a family who are running a campaign uh, to get a much loved dad and husband home following a devastating stroke earlier this year. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's kids. Sale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about retail in the last hour with uh, Neil Macdonald of Ismay and I'm assuming that that's what prompted Mary from Mitchellstown to send in a text to say Hi Patricia, could you please give a shout out to a lovely lady in Spar in Mallow by the name of Helen O'Connor Boy, oh boy, what excellent customer service I got there yesterday after getting diesel for my car She was a delight, she was jolly, she was happy, she was friendly and she was full of politeness which is so, so nice. I thought she deserved a shout 
shout out for her excellent customer service in these very hard, strange times and strange world in which we are living. So hello, Helen. Thank you for your service. And that comes in from Mary from Mitchellstown. So well done to Helen O'Connor in Spar in Mallow, going above and beyond and uh, making Mary feel that it was a very pleasant experience when she went to simply get diesel. Uh, well done. And it is always nice when you come across good customer service. And I think it's always important that we recognise it as well. So well done to Helen O'Connor. Let me stay on the whole issue of retail and click and collect. I mean, that's what Neil Macdonald, chief executive of Ismay, was, was on about talking about the real frustration that is out there with restrictions having been eased. But yet we continue to have restrictions for non-essential retail. Lou in Bandham has contacted us. Good morning to you, Lou. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Lou, I'm very well, thank you. You're one of the people who we were really talking about when we were talking about Neil because you work in a ladies' fashion shop in Bandon, Elizabeth's Fashion, and you're one of the shops, obviously, deemed non-essential, so you're closed. And it's not making a lot of sense to you. No, it's not. Um, I suppose I'm feeling very frustrated about it at this stage, Um, like, I fully understand that we needed to close down after Christmas because, the, you know, the figures just soared through the roof and everything. And there were so many people sick. And, you know, for everybody's safety, we had to close down. But, like, I was speaking to John Paul there, you know, a little while ago. And I said to him, it's so frustrating at the moment because one point I want to make is, you know, they're keeping the smaller shops closed. They're saying it's not um, safe to open up. Okay. Mm. Yes, I go into Dunn's stores, say, to do my weekly shop. And I walk around Dunn's stores and they have the now introduced clothing into, say, the supermarket section. Okay? Yeah. And they're selling, like, at the beginning, it seemed to be just leisure wear that was out from behind, say, the the tape cordoning cordoning stuff off. Yeah, and pyjamas and underwear, wasn't that it? Yeah. And, like, I can understand pyjamas, underwear, things like that, because especially if somebody is going into hospital or whatever, we we all need to have a change of our underwear. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's more and more stuff being brought out from behind those rails. Um, You can go into Dunn stores and you can buy things. Now, not just Dunn stores. It sounds like I'm, you know, coming down and Dunn stores. I'm not. You can go into, you know, um, other big supermarkets as well. And people have made this point to me. You can buy a picture for your wall. How in the name of God is a picture for your wall an essential item? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, like, say in our own shop, before we closed down, um, say, last summer for the lockdown, we ran a sale for two weeks because we, or for two days, we said, okay, let's try and get as much of our stock out as we possibly can. Now, we were inundated. I mean, the support we got was unreal. Brilliant. And we were well able to control the amount of people coming in and out of our shop. And people were so understanding. If I said to them, look, I'm sorry, can you wait outside till one customer goes out? They did it. And that can be done again. Like by keeping the smaller businesses closed, I just feel so strong about it. An awful lot of these smaller businesses are family-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Do you know, and they've obviously got family members working there as well. Like, you drive through the small towns at the moment and to see the number of businesses that are closed, and it's very worrying because I strongly feel that 
there's a lot of businesses will not open again. Yeah, and I've, I've such understanding and my heart yeah. goes out to some of the small businesses. I mean, the bills are still coming in. The bills oh, still still have to be paid. And yeah. there was a great hope that at least the click and collect would give yeah. some bit of business. It doesn't, I mean, it, it, it doesn't give a full amount of trade in through the door, yeah. but it would... It, might just give enough to keep a business afloat and keep it going. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not just saying like, OK, I work in Elizabeth's, but it's not just the clothing. I mean, there's so many other small businesses, you know, that are out there. Um, like another point that I made to someone recently was, you know, the, the flower shops, for instance, mm. they're closed. Yeah. OK, now you can phone in an order. That's fine. But yes, you can go into the likes of Aldi or Lidl or any of the supermarkets. I know I went into my local Aldi um, Valentine's weekend yeah. and the, there was a full row, a full aisle Flowers. They, you know, I have to say Valentine's and Mother's Day weekend, that really yeah. annoyed me that all of the supermarkets were just bursting with fresh flowers. Now, you would say every year yeah. they would have an amount of fresh flowers. Nothing like they oh, realised we can make hay while the sun shines here because yeah. the little florist shop, OK, you were able to do deliveries, but they weren't allowed to do click and collect. I thought you know? that was really, really you unfair. Know? It is, and like it's not just. I mean, I have friends in lots of different businesses. I have friends in hairdressers, and um, like I wouldn't, I would hand on heart say I would feel a hundred and fifty percent safe going into my local hairdresser because they, you know, they have invested so much in making their salon safe, and you know, you have to make your appointment, mm. so it's not a case of walking in the door. And, um, you know, I have people who I have friends who are in the, the public, um, you know, the pub trade. I mean, they've been closed. They've had no chance whatsoever. And they've been closed for well over. Well over, well over a year. And and you know? it's like, it's very different to this time last year. This time last year, we were in the very first lockdown. And then when we came out of the lockdown, everything was so new. But we very yeah. quickly learned and we very quickly changed our ways. We knew exactly. that if you wanted to go, to maybe to your own lovely shop there, Elizabeth's to buy some clothes, there was a chance that you may need mm-hmm. to queue outside. People prepared for that. I mean, in the, in the run up to Christmas, I made a, I always make a big effort to shop locally, but I made yeah. a, I doubled down on my efforts uh, this year. And any time I went out shopping, I wrapped up warm because I knew there was the possibility I might be queuing mm-hmm. outside a jeweller's shop or, you know, shop that does little fancy things that you'd want for Christmas. Yeah. But we willingly did it. We willingly yeah. did it and everybody felt safe. And, you know, we got our items and the businesses locally got the bit of money into the tills. Yeah, this is it. And I think even for people's mentality, like I love when my customers come in, we have a great crack. I'm just one of those people like, you know, I would talk to anybody and I do believe, you know, you, you know, the, the rapport that you have with your customer is very important. And I think even the customers, yeah, like the customers coming in, they love to be able to get out. Like I have, you know, neighbours, even elderly people, they're terrified to go outside the door. Do you know? And like we all know at this stage what we have to do to keep safe. Yeah. And I think, do you know, the people should be given some bit of choice. And 
Like, we're not being given any notice whatsoever. And I think that's what's so frustrating. And when it comes to a date, say, OK, the government are going to make an announcement, say, tomorrow. And then you will have our Taoiseach come out and he'll make his announcement. And then you could have two days later, the Taoiseach will come out and he'll say something completely different. And then you'll have the Minister for Health come out and he'll say something completely different again. And people are just getting so fed up with it. Of the mixed and messaging and, they, and yeah, one and contradicting the other. And exactly. Camir, Lou, do you really miss going to work? Oh, desperately, yeah. desperately. Do you know, even for myself, um, like I'm lucky, I have a beautiful garden here and now that the weather is, is good, but I have to hand on heart say that this last lockdown, and a lot of my friends have said the same thing, do you know, it's been so hard. Do you know, um, I think people have just had enough of it. Um, it's everything, do you know. I mean, I'm speaking with other shopkeepers and, you know, obviously in Bandon and that, and we're just at our wit's end. And it's very, very hard. Like, I know I'm only working there, but say for my boss now, she doesn't know, should I buy in summer stock? Yeah. Are we going to be open? Do you know, we still have our stock. Like, we were closed down after Christmas. Within, we were supposed to be open until, was it the 6th of January That's or right. something like that? And they closed earlier. And they closed. Yeah. So, like, they shut They were down afraid of January you... sales, do you remember, at the time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, again, like, you're you know, the shopkeepers, their doors are closed, they have a shop full of winter stock, what chance have they to get it out? Okay. All right. Some, like, what do you do now? Somebody, uh, somebody who says, I am a senior manager for Dunn Stores and I can assure you mm-hmm. that we do not have extra clothes on rails. We stick to the guidelines as instructed by the government. Statements like that are not factual and they're unfair. Just to note, we're a family business uh, too. Well, you know, I've, I have to say, I'm with Lou on this. I've seen products... Yeah. Out that were out for sale. I have seen the, them just in the last I, number of weeks. Is that I'm not saying that all of the clothes are for sale, but there mm-hmm. are some starting to move out over the tape. Oh, there. Yeah. There. Okay. All right. I have to, I have to hold my hand up and say that I did buy something <laughs> on in Dunn's. Yeah. So I know. I'm speaking from experience. I'm not making up tall tales. And it wasn't. It wasn't okay. a pair of pajamas, and it wasn't underwear. It wasn't a pair no. of pyjamas, it wasn't a brower knickers. <laughs> you know, it was actually for somebody else who was looking for something. Okay. And I said, look, I know for a fact, I said that it's on sale. I'll get it for you. Stores. I'll pick it up for you. And All right. Okay. I saw the same item, and I'm not picking on Dunn's here in Cork. I saw the same item in Dunn's stores in Ennis, because I was in lockdown in Ennis for quite a while. Okay. Dunn's stores in Clonakilty, Dunn's stores in Cork. So All right. I'm not making up talk. Okay, and as you say, and and you also were pains to point out it isn't you. You're not just picking on Duns. You I'm you mentioned you mentioned other Duns. stores as well. Okay, yeah. listen, we leave it there, Lou, and hopefully Thank sooner you. rather than later, the lovely oh. doors of your boutique will be open and you'll be back up and running. Oh, um, hopefully. But thanks hopefully. a million for that, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That yeah. is Lou in Bandon, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Uh, a listener says, Patricia, my friend. Uh, who is over 80, her driving licence is about to expire. 
can you offer any advice as to what she needs to uh, do? Well, anybody over the age of 70, you who does not have a medical condition, you do not need to submit a medical report, which is what normally has happened with driving licence in over 70s. It's a temporary exemption and it's in place until the 30th of June 2021. All those 70 and over who've previously presented at an NDLS centre in the last five years and whose licence or permit is due for renewal, they will receive a renewal pack in the post and they then will be invited to apply for a renewal of their licence by post. But there is an exemption and they don't need to get the medical certificate. Normally they've got to go into the doctor and get it uh, signed off. So you can tell your friend to watch out for the post. You should be getting something in the post uh, soon. When we were talking about wildlife on the programme, a lovely text in to say, Patricia was going to use my bag of bark chippings on Saturday and I discovered that a little robin had decided to make her nest in the bag of bark uh, chippings. I actually feel very privileged that this little robin has chosen my garden to have her babies and you're going, you're going to, that little robin's nest will bring you such joy as you watch those little birds and they will eventually fledge and they will fly at the nest so enjoy watching it as well. 1850 333 103 C103 Jobs Policies and partners solicitors in Bandon they require an admin assistant with strong IT skills the Arctic drivers wanted for immediate start that's in the North Cork area full clean driver's licence and up-to-date CPCs are necessary. A child binder is wanted for the summer months. It's to care for children in the children's own home. That's in the Canturk area. And a valeter is wanted for cars and vans. That's in the Fromoy area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now in West Cork, a GoFundMe page has been set up under the heading Help Get, help Dave get home and to fill us in on the campaign and why it was set up I'm joined by Chris Lindman. Uh, good morning to you Chris. Uh, good morning. Chris now the Dave we're talking about here is your stepdad. T- tell me what happened to Dave. It was at the end of February this year. Yeah um, he suffered from a stroke on the 28th uh, of February um, and was taken to the UH and put into an induced coma uh, because he had a very deep bleed in his brain, um, and and since then he, he's um, he's woken up um, and he's been taken back down to the Bantry Hospital, uh, where he's in the rehabilitation uh, ward there. Um, but since since then, uh, we've been told that the, the bleed on his brain was uh, very severe, um, which has affected his uh, memory and his mobility, um, and it's. It's unlikely that he's going to walk again, um, which is, is very sad for us because he was a very active man. Um, he was doing a lot of projects around the house uh, and in the garden. Um, and he also went for almost daily walks around Glengareth Woods with my mother, uh, Jen. Um, and it is, it's difficult seeing him like this because my mom and my, my stepdad are very close. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And for somebody who, you know, such a sounds like such a strong, fit, active man, this stroke yeah. obviously came out of the blue, Chris. It did. It did. And it was also very um, 
uh, dreadful experience for my mum as well because uh, she, she was out at the time and when she came back uh, he was he was uh, still in the bathroom um, and he wasn't moving and um, she kind of just panicked and, and, and didn't know really what to do um, and my mum is tiny compared to my stepdad uh, she's she's about half the size um, so like, the experience of seeing him uh, not moving and not being able to make words or um, just generally being unresponsive um, really did scare her. Yeah, um, it's it's like a nightmare, isn't it, to come home yeah. expecting to see somebody pottering around or, or doing a few jobs yeah. and then to discover somebody collapsed on the floor. OK, and since the end of February then, as you say, he was in this induced coma in CUH and then he's got moved yeah. on for, I'm assuming, some kind of rehab, is it, or is it in, in, in yeah. Bantry Hospital? What progress has he made, uh, Chris? Um, so he, he's made steady, uh, slow progress, Um He's, he's basically been able to like move his eyes, which uh, uh, took some time. Um, he's, he's finally able to swallow again. Uh, with the stroke, he, he lost the ability to swallow food, um, and he, he lost the ability to, to swallow liquid as well. So they, they had like a, a, a catheter um, in his uh, stomach, basically feeding him. Um, he's, he's been able to kind of move his legs. Um, and he, he's able to um, answer questions uh, relating to things in the past, but his memory's not the same. Um, but he'll uh, basically uh, answer the question, but he won't be able to answer it straight away. Um, and it takes him a bit of time to get the answer. So my mom's been kind of um, feeding him the answers the day before and then asking him the same questions, and he gets them then. So it's a very, very slow progress. Yeah, very slow, very slow. And yeah. your your mother, Jen, desperately wants Dave back home. I mean, that's that's the plan, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's, it's tough because uh, they're basically joined at the hip. Um, they're each other's rock and each other's world. Um, so it's been exceptionally hard for her, um, especially when he was in... UH in Cork uh, because he wasn't able to be visited and we weren't able to see him so that she was going off uh, the doctor's words and like what they were saying about him uh, so one day it would be uh, very uh, good news and then like, his blood pressure might be up or it might be down or he's not waking up and it's just been a roller coaster for her. Yeah, and because of the pandemic and the hospital restrictions on visiting, yeah. you, you you can't get in. Is she able to get in to see him more that, now that he's in Bantry Hospital? Um, she she isn't able to see him, like physically see him. Uh, but luckily for us, his uh, his uh, bed is right next to the ground floor window, so she's been able to see him through the window. It's window visits. Uh, that's tough. Yeah. That is that is a tough, tough uh, thing. So, in order for Dave to come home, you've yeah. identified jobs that need to be done on the house. Uh, pretty much, yep. So, um, the, the main one at the moment is uh, bringing the driveway uh, down to the front door um, because where they live uh, beforehand, they, they didn't really have the driveway next to the front door. Um, so, it's 
it's, it's basically just bringing it down so when he gets a wheelchair he'll be able to access the house um, without any problems basically that's um, outside then inside does, does work need to be done inside yeah yeah so it's just um, doing uh, the necessary uh, improvements inside the house um, I, I, I do know there's a grant uh, that I've been told about. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, there is yeah, there's an yeah. adaptation grant that you certainly yeah. should look into and, and see about applying for. Yeah, and uh, like I was told that by the Bantry Notice Board group on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. They've been very helpful and also by um, was it, uh, Margaret, who works with uh, Michael Collins, the PD. Uh, she's also been very helpful as well. Um, but in the meantime, you've set up this GoFundMe page to yeah. try to raise money to yeah. get as much of the work done as you possibly can. Yeah, for for my mum, it's it's kind of paramount that it has to happen soon because with the grants, like these things take time, um, and the the sooner she can get it set up, the sooner she can uh, bring bring Dave home, um, which uh, for her is the main thing. And what are the uh, doctors saying, Chris, from a timeline point of view, when would they expect Dave to be strong enough and well enough to be able to go home? Um, so they were saying that it's going to take about four months um, from from uh, the time that they moved him back down to Bantry. Um, so it's probably going to be around about uh, July August time before he'll be able to come back to the house. Um, so, like in the meantime, we're we're trying to get it all sorted out uh, before then. So there's more chance of him being allowed to stay. Um, so if the house isn't up to standard, then um, it, it, it's it's not going to uh, work in our favour. And does do you and does does Jen believe? that Dave will make a quicker recovery by being back at home. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, and I, I think for her especially, like because she isn't able to see him and physically touch him and, and hug him and and just give him the unconditional love that she, she's been so used to giving him every day um, before the stroke, uh, it's, it, it should help him heal faster. Um, it, like with the doctors at the moment in Bantry, um, they can only do so much. Um, and for her being outside the window, um, it, it, it's soul destroying because she feels that she can be there uh, 24-7 in a sense to, to kind of nurse him back to health. And I, I think that's uh, one of the things that she feels that would definitely um, improve his, his health and improve his uh, uh, recovery. Yeah, uh, Heart, heartbreaking, heartbreaking for her yeah. to be to be outside the window, lo- looking yeah. in at her beloved um, uh, Dave. Yeah. And and Chris, for you as her son, difficult for you to watch your mum go through this. Yeah, um, it, it's been challenging. It, it's been challenging, especially as well um, since. Uh, Last year as well, uh, I, I lost my my dad uh, to a sudden heart attack uh, back in April um, 2020. Um, 
So it, it's it's kind of like bringing up a lot of things around that time as well um, that happened. Um, and back then I wasn't able to, to go to his funeral because of the travel restrictions. Um, so it's been, it's been quite tough. Mm. Um, we've recently just had his uh, first anniversary as well. So um, it, it's, it's a difficult time for me. And it, it's hard seeing her like this because... Um, being a vulnerable person now, um, even with the restrictions of the traveling being used, I still won't be able to visit them. Um, so it, it's it's difficult. It's very difficult, and it, it's not only for me. It's kind of difficult for all my brothers as well because um, no one really wants to see their mum uh, like upset. Yeah, in that kind of pain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, and the GoFundMe page is called Help Dave Get Home to See His Wife Jen Safely. Yeah, yep, that's it. That's the name of it, okay. Listen, Chris, we wish you luck with it and pass on our best wishes uh, to, to Dave uh, and also to your mum. And uh, thanks for sharing the story with us today. No worries. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time. Our uh, pleasure. Our pleasure. Me. Good morning to you and take care. That is uh, Chris Lindman on behalf of that campaign to help Dave get home, as I say, currently a patient in the wonderful Bantry Hospital where they're looking after him so well, but they just want to have him home. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they Walk the walk, cmig.ie. With people now allowed to travel around the county outside their 5k limit, scenic walks, especially by the sea, are proving to be very popular. In West Cork, the Seven Heads Peninsula walks consists of 42 kilometres of coastal trails and rural walkways and is a very popular tourist trail. But the local committee have a bit of a problem this year as the insurance is up for renewal at the end of this month. John O'Brien is chairperson of the local committee and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, pre-pandemic, how would the committee normally cover the cost of insurance every year? Um, We'd have um, had our annual church gate collection uh, around this time every year and that would have made enough to pay insurance and actually enough to cover some maintenance as well, to be honest with you, because there's great... Uh, goodwill towards the walk in the parish and in the area, and we were we were very um, you know, very well supported uh, through that method of, of fundraising. And also, we've got a, a walks book, a, a guidebook that we sell in all the local retail outlets, and the profit from that as well helps fund um, any activities that we have. But particularly, the insurance is the, is the vital one. Okay, so. Um, as you kind of were, and look, and I, I'm, I appreciate that you've just discussed the GoFundMe page. I know. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah. it's all go, it's all GoFundMe this morning. But anyway, um, you know, it's just that our well is nearly dry in that we, you know, funds are, we, we always ran on a shoestring. But like the fact that we're not able to collect money at the moment um, and, you know, the sale of books and all that, you know, retail outlets being, um, um, you know, not trading or whatever, you know, particularly yeah, tourism shops and whatever, you know, tourism outlets. Uh, we, we're, we're at a bit of a difficulty at the moment. How did you manage last year without the Churchgate collection? Had we, you, had you on, enough in the on, coffers? 
on reserves, on reserves. On reserves, on, all right, but you're... Okay. Yeah, we, we, we paid out reserves. So look, you know... You're, running, I, you're definitely running on empty then. And then well, the big... There, there's not a lot of gas in the tank, <laughs> you know, but, 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 but look, it, it, it's, it's a very worthy cause, and I know all causes are worthy at the moment, Patricia, and I fully appreciate that. But to be honest with you, the amount of people that are using the, uh, the, uh, the walks, you know, particularly, you know, if you were to walk between, or if you were to drive between Tivoli and Corporate Sherry, you know, that old railway line, that's used 24-7, 365 days of the year, you know. So, and in the greater peninsula as well, we've had untold um, people walking um, for the past year because, you know, okay, when people were locked down and within their five kilometres, it was local people, okay? But when things will relax again, you'll see, you know, that people are looking for somewhere to go, mm. you know? So mm. it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a very enjoyable walk. Um, and there's a lot of very different aspects to the walk, you know. And, you know, could I suggest that even from now on, the, the next two or three weeks, the bluebells in Corporate Sherry uh, Wood are well worth a visit. They are stunning. God, I haven't, you've brought me back now to a memory. I haven't seen them in, in years. They yeah. are just spectacular. Yeah, so that and the wild garlic in the wood is worth a visit in itself. And then down to Fuchsia Walk on the broad, broad strand. And, you know, you, you travel south along the parish to, to um, you know, the Patrick Huan Monument. The, uh, you know, go up to Butlerstown, Narry's Cross, south to Shannock and around to Dunworley, Lehenna. And, you know, it, there's a, a lot of different aspects to the walk. You know, you can do short walks. You can do the, the full 42 kilometres. So you know it's it's a it's a very it's a very interesting walk, and you know it's it's the one well worth doing and well worth seeing, and it's very accessible, say from the local towns, Clonakilty, Bandon, and from Cork as well. And for anyone that wants to visit the area, it, it's well worth. Uh, well I like worth we've we've beautiful weather at the moment. I mean, on days fantastic. like today, it's it's fantastic. no no better better place to be. How much does the insurance cost every year? The insurance is approximately twelve hundred euros a year. Okay. Wow. So, you know, we, we'd, we, we'd appreciate that much immediately. But if there was more to come in, Patricia, like, we'd put it to good use because, you know, there's, there's, there's constant maintenance to be done. You know, we, we, we run on a, on a voluntary committee. Now, we don't have anyone working on the walk at the moment through a CE scheme or a rural social scheme, scheme you know. So, we, we, you know, we, we have to pay for some of the trimming and the maintenance that has to be done to it, OK? But, you know, we, we, we try and keep it as uh, you know uh, as looking as as naturally and as as well as possible there's always maintenance you know and you can appreciate you know there's there's uh, cutting grass cutting and 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 ditch cutting to be done to a minimum but you know uh, a lot of that work you know has has to be done either voluntarily or or we pay somebody so you know we appreciate any donation and look if people aren't into the gofundme um uh, scenario, okay? They can always donate locally, you know, any one of us of the committee will take the donation locally and we will see that it goes into the into the suitable fund or whatever, okay? And John, last year we were it was all about staycation and we know it's all going to be about staycation again uh, this year and please God, the summer will be in a different space to where we are at the moment and more will be opened up and we will be able to uh, to go on staycations. Did you did you see an increase in the number of people on the Seven Heads Walk? I I could safely say, Patricia, from the year before, it was doubled or more. Yeah, it doesn't you know, surprise the, the, me. The, the usage of the walk was fantastic, you know, and they, you know, and and it brings a lot, it brings a lot of it brings a lot of benefit to the to the local uh, communities as well, and to the villages, you know, say Corpac Sherry and Timaleague, you know, the spin-off from the walks are, are fantastic in that, you know, you can stop for a coffee there and have some refreshments 
and, and continue on. So, you know, there's definitely, um, I, I think, you know, the staycation phenomenon from last year was fantastic in that it, it brought people to places like Butlerstown, Corpac Sherry, Timberlake, and Clonakilty Abandoned as, as well, and Garrettstown and all these places where people enjoyed the local scenery and got to know their local communities and local sceneries again, you know. Yeah, it's it's been the real if we can, if we're always trying to scramble to find a positive in the middle of this pandemic. But I do think that was one of the real positives last year. People got to f- see parts of this country that they didn't even know exist. But I think locally, people started to discover what's even on their own doorstep. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think there's been a, there's been a fantastic reawakening of the beauties that we have at our own doorsteps, you know. And, look, we all appreciate, if we, like, as I keep saying, Ireland Ireland is a fantastic country, but if it was five degrees warmer, it would be an amazing country, OK? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not, and we have to make the most of what we have. But definitely you can safely say that the, the, you know, the walk is very user-friendly. It caters for all levels of, of abilities and capabilities. And, you know... Right, I would recommend that if you're doing the longer walks that you, you wear suitable footwear and whatever, okay? But, like, it, it, it's definitely safe. I particularly you know, mentioned the one from Timolese Corporate Sherry. That's suitable for anyone, you know, be it a person, you know, that's, that's not as able-bodied as they may have been previously. You know, it's a very comfortable, easy walk to do. It's very, you know, it, it, it's very comfortable and it's very safe. And, you know, you, you, you see an awful lot in the Corporate Sherry Estuary, be it bird wildlife and the various sceneries around. So that in itself, and as, as we mentioned before, the, the woods in Corporate Sherry are, are, are really, at this time of the year, are well worth it. That's you know? certainly at its, its finest. And, I mean, the, the whole, I mean, the, the actual trail was set up back in the late 90s. I think it was the 19, yeah. 1998. I mean, it was local people, wasn't it, got together? It, it it's was, a community yeah, it initiative. It was it was a community initiative because look, um, Patricia, where it's a very beautiful peninsula, okay? You know the 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 Barrie Row Peninsula, the the Ibain Peninsula. Um, you know it 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 doesn't have uh, you know other than the beaches and places like Butlerstown and Corfe Sherry and Timaliga, whatever. You know it doesn't have your golf course or whatever. So you know at the time walking and it was true. Uh, um, what was the leader initiative? You know the West Cork leader. Mm. Um, it was through that um, uh, scheme originally that it, that it was developed. And you know it walking and it. Well, I think this it still it goes true for today. Walking is 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 you know the 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 big tourism attraction. Um, for for people, you know, who are into activity holidays or whatever, and you know, as, as we were discussing at the time, you know, walking was the golf of the time. Okay, we we didn't have a golf course in the in the area, so so we 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 developed walking, and you know, it has proven very successful and proven very important as a tourism offering for the area. Okay, here's a lovely uh, call in from Jerry in Shambhalimore to say, uh, Patricia, I love my walks in my own area and we are blessed with the scenery of the mountains where I live, but I had never before visited the Seven Heads or Barry Row or Cork McSherry until I heard about these places on your programme. I went last summer and what a joy. Beautiful landscape, gorgeous abbey driving into Timaleague. Only for your programme, I'd never have known about the area. We keep hearing about the big tourist spots in Cork, but we have a lot of hidden gems and we do and there's an awful lot of those hidden gems in West Cork John and hopefully Patricia after today there'll be more people and yeah. I think your your programme is great for that you know it makes people and like we've got the, the Bear Way and the Sheep's Head Way and you know there's walks around Kilbritton and there's, there's new walks developed around Timberlake so 
there is no end to the amount of tourism offerings and walking possibilities that are available in the West Cork area, you know. So, you know, and look, we're, 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 we're likely to develop more, you know, and I know it would, be, it would be a dream of mine to develop a walk, say, from Kinsale right through to Clannacilty. So, you know, that's all on the agenda. And I know Cork County Council are very much interested in maybe, you know, the new walk, the Joe Welch walk that's in Clannacilty, mm-hmm. maybe joining that up to Corpacherry through the old railway line or, or near the old railway line. So, you know, there, there's all sorts of developments being proposed for walking and walking. Well, all the- those greenways all over the country are have proven to be incredibly successful. Exactly. I, I think it, it's a fantastic, it's a fa- and it, you know, the possibilities that it offers for Airbnb and for for different, you know, for for staycations and for bed and breakfast or whatever, I, I think it, it gives it gives great possibilities going forward. So, what we're looking for for anyone that has enjoyed the walks in the Seven Heads Peninsula or that is likely to uh, come down for the summer, you know, maybe throw a few few euros our way and help pay the insurance and help to keep the walk open, really. If you're yeah, so, and I mean, 1200 it's a huge amount for a small committee, but in the scheme of things, if everyone wants to throw in a few euro, you'd have it collected in no time at all. Well, we, we, hopefully, and you know, and, and particularly if people are feeling generous, we, we'd even take a bit more to enhance the walk. So, you know, it, it, this is going to be an ongoing initiative because if we don't know, and like, you know, we're lucky that the parish affords us the possibility uh, to take up a church gate collection, you know, like we're we're very lucky for that. But you know, we don't know what's going to happen with all that kind of um, going fundraising forward, yeah, going yeah, forward, you know, yeah. because we're we're in a totally different space following the the pandemic, unfortunately. Okay, but look, you know, I think it's the one that we're going to we're going to keep open for a while, Patricia, to try and and you know try and fund this um, on an ongoing basis. You don't? Do you get any government funding or any council funding? We we do get council funding for structural work, of course. Yeah. All right, but we, not we to do. cover insurance costs. No, 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 not to cover insurance. No, no, okay. no. Okay. No. All right. So Listen, we, we wish you luck. And your your GoFundMe page is Seven Heads Peninsula Walks Fundraiser. Yeah, that's it. That that's is it, okay. Sure. Or, or look, they they can they can contact me or or, or any member of the committee, um, you know, and and we 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 will see after it, you know, because I know not every. I look, I'm not into GoFundMe myself, okay, and that's an age thing, okay. But like, I know younger people are, but you know, if if people are feeling generous and they want to contribute towards the walk. Yeah, feel free to ring it. To keep it going into the future. Listen, exactly, keep, keep exactly. flying the flag for the Seven Heads Peninsula Walks, will, John. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And and thank you, thanks to you for giving me the time to do so. Our okay? pleasure. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. God bless. John O'Brien there, who is the chairman of the Seven Heads Peninsula uh, Walks Committee. And if you've been on the walk or uh, any part of that, for, I didn't realise it was 42 kilometres uh, long until I was doing the research on it uh, yesterday. It is stunning. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, walkway. And it would be a shame if they had to close it off because of the dreaded insurance uh, costs. So €1,200 Euro needs to be raised, needs to be raised ASAP because insurance premium is due in at the end of this month. Gat on Twitter to at C103 Cork says my neighbour rang me and said I never knew I lived in such a beautiful county with so many gorgeous places to visit and so much more. My neighbour says we won't be going abroad when Covid is all done and dusted we're planning to have big family holidays here in Ireland something we could never have considered doing if we were to take everyone abroad because it would simply be too too expensive so and I know a lot of people had some very very successful 
staycations last year and got to see parts of either our own beautiful county. I mean, we're blessed here in Cork. Our county is so big and so so beautiful. But people got to go visit other parts of the country that they'd never been to before. And it's certainly looking uh, like it's going to be the very same thing because they're, they're already advising people that foreign travel is, is not going to be on the agenda for summertime this year for sure. So staycation is going to be the, the order of the day. But you don't even have to go on a staycation. You can do day trips uh, now, particularly now that here in Cork we can travel anywhere around the county. A listener heard me talking about a postal application and sending it back in and says Patricia was that the medical card you were talking about to that you need to pop in the post? No it's to do with the renewal of a driving licence for those aged uh, over 70 with no medical condition. The NDLS are sending out packs uh, a renewal pack in the post and people are invited to apply by post because there has been a temporary exemption for the medical reports to be submitted for those over 70s with a driving licence and that temporary exemption is in place until the 30th of June. OK, I need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we're going to be answering all of your gardening questions uh, with Peter Dowdle. And we're also going to be talking about the possibility of Cork City introducing a congestion charge similar to what is in operation if you drive into the city of London. Cork today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. On C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to a number of people who uh, want me to mention that Nationwide tonight, there is a feature on Bally Desmond on Nationwide tonight. Why is Bally Desmond featured on Nationwide tonight? Well, today is the 14th of April, which is the 109th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. And part of the Nationwide programme tonight is true stories of the Irish that were aboard the Titanic. And one of the stories they're going to feature is one young Corkman who was from Bally Desmond who survived the Titanic and then sadly 
Bradley went on and was killed in the last days of the First World War. It was uh, Danny Buckley, originally from Ballydesmond. And of course, Ballydesmond, back 109 years ago, was known as King William's uh, Town. He sailed on the Titanic. He was one of seven children. He finished school and worked as a farm labourer. And then when his father died suddenly, he decided to emigrate to America to make enough money to support the family back home. God help him. His journey to America began on board the ill-fated Titanic four days, of course, into the journey. It set sail on the 10th of April, four days into the journey. On this day, 109 years ago, the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank the death of 1,500 people, including actually Danny Buckley's friend, Pat O'Connell, who travelled with him. When the captain gave the order to abandon ship, Danny Buckley helped with making sure as many people as possible got onto the lifeboats because when he got to New York, he wrote a note to his mother describing the events of what happened on the sinking of the Titanic. And he said that when he went up on deck, he met a soldier who'd asked, who he met a sailor who said to him, will you help me load the boats? So he did. And uh, luckily he survived the Titanic. He stayed on in America and then he joined the army during World War One. And he was killed while serving in France at the age of uh, 23. Such a sad, sad story. But anyway, that story is going to feature tonight. And thank you, as I say, a number of people just on to let people know if you're watching Nationwide tonight, keep a lookout for the Danny, Danny Buckley's story on uh, Nationwide. Also, this is breaking news when we've been talking about AstraZeneca. Denmark is to stop using AstraZeneca vaccine entirely following the possible link to the very rare cases of blood clots. The Danish media are just making the announcement. The decision is expected to delay Denmark's vaccine rollout by weeks. So they're one of the countries that's made the decision to stop using it completely. Whereas a lot of other countries are doing exactly what we're doing in Ireland. They're limiting it in that they're just giving it either to the over 55s or the over uh, 60s. And in in the UK they're giving it to the over 30s. But Denmark now has become the latest country to make a move on AstraZeneca and they are stopping it completely. Now whether they'll change their mind on that again, I don't know. But for now, AstraZeneca AstraZeneca will not be given out in Denmark. Now, some of your other thoughts coming in. Let me stay on the AstraZeneca and the vaccine for a moment because there was in the midst of all of the gardening questions. Keep those coming in for Peter, uh, please. There was a couple of other comments coming in on the vaccine, particularly people over 60, not happy about the fact that they're going to be offered AstraZeneca. Trish, if what you said is so true of 60-year-olds they're at a risk of becoming seriously ill and possibly dying from COVID, then why is it anyone in their 60s was not required to cocoon for the last year? And somebody else says, I am over 60 with an underlying health condition. I'm alive and that's the way I want to stay. I feel the vaccine has been a rush job and it is just all too frightening. I just want to stay the way I am. And of course, it will be within everybody's right whether they want to take the AstraZeneca or not. And actually, there's a good email in from Joe to Patricia c103.ie saying um, on the AstraZeneca vaccination Joe, Joe writes I think it should be made an adult's individual choice as to whether they take the vaccine or not. They should sign a waiver and take responsibility for their adult decision. A dedicated portal could be open to facilitate those who wish to receive the vaccine to register on it and read the extended interval that they're talking about doing for the two visor shots. I think says Joe that's more of a political decision to increase the numbers vaccinated on paper. Also, it ignores the science 
the very science that the government and Neffet keep on quoting. The manufacturer's guidelines read the interval between the shots of Pfizer vaccine should be followed and the Pfizer. Pfizer themselves say four weeks, 28 days between the first and the second shot. Although, as I mentioned, when I said that, that that's what the government are looking at doing, they, they are looking at maybe extending that out to 12 weeks because other countries, they'll probably come back, though, Joe, and say the science is there from other countries in that other countries have extended that rollout for the Pfizer from four weeks to 12 weeks, doing it for exactly the reason you're quoting, to get more people on paper vaccinated in, in getting their first dose uh, in. So we'll wait and see what the government say on that. But thank you for your email, uh, Joe, to Patricia at c103.ie. And also that is, um, yeah, no, I think that's all all on the vaccines. We leave that there. Let me go to some other thoughts that are coming into us. Hi, Patricia. Gardening holidays are more and more likely this year. We'll all be having our holiday in our own garden. I feel I've made a right mess of the vaccine. Anyway, I must go. It's my day off work and I'm going to go out with my little boat around Union Hall, Glandor Coast. I'm lucky to live in the countryside. You are indeed and lucky to live close by the sea. I uh, hope you're having an enjoyable little sail out around uh, Union Hall and Glandor. Beautiful, beautiful part of the wood world. Lots and lots of questions there for Peter. I will get to all of those. Let me see what else is in the midst of them. John says, I was in Fountainstown yesterday evening. To my amazement, I counted 37 people on the slipway getting ready for a swim. Couldn't believe my eyes. No social distancing. None of them were standing two metres apart. Not one of them had a mask on. Can you imagine the carry on when the weather gets really hot? I actually sent a text to your programme on the first week of this year complaining about something the very same, the very same kind of carry on. And we saw the outcome of that. I have no doubt, says John. A fourth wave is on the way if people don't behave and start abiding by social distancing, even though going back to the science and the powers that be, they say when we're outside, you are safer outside. Now, I don't know when you counted 37 people, were they a group of 37 people or was it just 37 people happened to all be there at the same time? It seems like a lot of people to have all met up to go for a swim. And we are told when we are safer outside, but if you go anywhere outside where it is very crowded and where there's a lot of people, then the suggestion is that you do at least wear a mask and try where possible to keep two metres away from everyone. Hi, Patricia. Uh, we I spoke about the renewal of driver's licence earlier. Somebody says, what happens if your social services card is out of date? This is from a listener in Bantir. Public services uh, cards, they've all been suspended in order to get them renewed or to get a new one under the level five restrictions. Uh, but they, they do have appointments for urgent uh, cases. But on the public services card renewal, existing public services cards which are out of date remain valid for the purpose of collecting social welfare. They also remain valid where applicable for your free travel. Um, they will be honoured and the National Transport Authority has been told about that even though we did have a a query with one listener who was made to pay on a bus because her card was out of date but we got it uh, checked and the National Transport Authority say that they continue to honour public services cards people with free travel that are, are out of date. Now, and I've double checked this 
while the news uh, was on. A new online renewal service for public services cards is to be launched in spring of 2021 and that has been up on the site now for almost since the start of the year if it even may have even gone up towards the back end of last year because I've announced that a couple of times that they're going to have this new online service where people can renew their cards um, but it hasn't gone live yet. Now, we're still in spring, so I suppose maybe it'll be soon soon in the in the coming weeks. But as soon as we hear about that, as soon as we hear that there is a, an online renewal service, no doubt they'll back it up with some kind of advertising uh, campaign. But at the moment, all of the public services cards, if they are out of date, they remain valid, particularly for people collecting social welfare payments. I know that that's the one I think that people most uh, worry about. So don't worry. Nothing you can do about it yet because they're not renewing them. But when that online service gets up and running, we certainly will keep on on top of it and get the information to you as quickly as we can. And Heidi, this kind of ties in with gardening, I think, a little bit. Uh, It says um, in the journal, Heidi sends on a piece from the journal, and this is to do with rhododendrons being cleared in Connemara National Park. And it's the Minister for State for Heritage, Malcolm Noonan, has announced a funding allocation of a half a million euro to clear what is an invasive species, the rhododendron, from the Connemara National Park. The funding will be spent over the next two years to help eradicate rhododendrons across 300 hectares of heath and blanket bog within the National Park in Connemara and it will create employment opportunities within the park. And the Minister of State says removing invasive species is challenging, it's labour intensive work, but it is crucially important for the health of our ecosystem. So Heidi sends on that piece to me because she says she's saying, you know, half a million, it's a lot of money they're going to spend eradicating the rhododendrons and she's making the point, why clear them completely? Heidi says, I have rhododendrons in my garden. They're such a beautiful, beautiful flower. If they're kept under control, they can make a wonderful sight. It's sad that they want to do this. Now, if it was Japanese, not weed that they were clearing. That causes damage. Could understand that society, but is against the full clearing of the rhododendron. And it is deemed an invasive species. It is beautiful. It is when it's in full bloom. It's absolutely gorgeous, but it takes over an area. And obviously that's what's going on in Connemara. It's upsetting the ecosystem there. So there's nothing else that they can do, but to completely eradicate it uh, is causing upset to our Heidi. 1850 103. Let me go to the phone lines very quickly before we go to the ad break where Jim is uh, joining me. Um, good afternoon, Jim. Mm, is he on three? Is he I'm on line one. My apologies. I have the wrong line uh, pressed. He's on line one. Good afternoon, Jim. Afternoon to you, Patricia. Now, you? I'm very well. You heard me good. read out the comment from the man in Fountainstown who was giving out about the I people did, going I for did, a swim. I'm a, little, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, if there's a group like that, why not just sort of politely go in and say, lads or girls or people or whatever they were, were mixture, would you ever would you ever separate a small little bit, like just keep two metres between you, you'd be better off, rather than giving out about it? Yeah, and you know, I, I, that's why I questioned that he, he actually stood and he counted the 37. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't 37 people met up. It's obviously all individual groups of maybe two and three people and they just all happened well be, to be yeah. together on, well on the be, slipway. Yeah. And the fact they were going swimming, they wouldn't have a mask yeah. on. No, no. Well, 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 you wouldn't put a mask on going in swimming, you? No, no. 
<laughs> so well, you're you're saying if you come across groups like that, just point out to them. Nice and politely and, and be, be sort of uh, forward thinking about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's my attitude at the moment. We're, we're out of lockdown. We can go. We can go as far as the end of the county at both ends, four ends, wherever we are and uh, enjoy our day. As a matter of fact, Patricia, on Monday, yeah. and I myself headed off for West Cork and we went out the back way up through uh, what do they call it? The Northern Road down into Bantry, Ballylicky. Gorgeous, yeah. And it was absolutely fabulous. And was and it your first it. time? You you kept within your 5K all along, did you? We did. You we did. did. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you went, we and did. You went yeah. off. And I can hear an indicator in the car. Are you heading off somewhere today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you guess that? No, I can hear the indicator. <laughs> We are, we are. You know where we're going out today? Where are you going? We have a daughter living on the clock side of Killarney. Right, okay. So you're still and, within the county uh, bounds? We are meeting at the county bounds. Ah, oh, oh, fabulous. <laughs> when did you last and see your daughter? Uh, we didn't see our daughter since the 26th of December. Oh, my God. The, the day, the, the day that, that there was lockdown, that's... That, Stephen's night at midnight. That's right. And we met, we, we well, it was our, our, our daughter's birthday, and we went down for just for a couple of hours, and we came back early, and we haven't seen them since. So, and you have a lovely day for it. The sun is shining. Is it sh- sh- shining? It's absolutely fabulous, Patricia, and we're looking forward to it. So you're going to meet at the county bounds. Have you a flask or anything in the car? Oh, God, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, we have all the equipment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the picnic part. Little, little bits and pieces, Patricia. Uh, great stuff. Well, enjoy. No, enjoy. Nothing, how would I put it, extravagant or anything like that, just nice little bits and pieces. The ham sandwiches. Yes, as if we were going to Thomas Olympics for <laughs> We will one day. We will one day. Listen, safe, God, safe travels and enjoy yeah. enjoy the meet up with your daughter, okay? We will indeed. God bless. Thanks safe driving. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Jim in Middleton. I, th- I do think he's making a valid point as well. Uh, t- rather than us sitting and moaning and groaning and giving out about people, if you do come across something like that, that you think there's groups and you know, it's safe to do it and you feel it might be okay just to point out to people, can you spread out a little bit there and you'll, you know, just for yourself, the old COVID is still flying around. And I did make the point outside, we are told we are safer outside. But, you know, rather than standing and counting all of the people, go over and just point out to them that they may be just a little bit on top of uh, each other. And John Paul says he's got a lot of calls who are agreeing with uh, Jim that the guy given out about Fountainstown yesterday uh, was wrong. Stephen says, can people just focus on the positive rather than the negative? It's like people want a fourth wave but look at the numbers. Things are coming down. We're doing really, really well. And thank you to Noreen on the public services card to say there's a phone number on the card and you can renew it over the phone. It came out to Noreen within five days but just ring the number on the phone. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. You can do that. Thank you for that, uh, Noreen, because it does say on their website on the myWelfare.ie that they're expecting to do some kind of an online uh, 
service whereby people will be able to renew the public services card online as well. 1850 333 103. Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. In a Scour Community Centre looking for your help to keep the centre open, you're please asked to donate to cover their running costs either through their GoFundMe page, which is inascara.org, or you can drop your donation into the office letterbox. Our details of their bank account are up on our website, c103.ie. And Marymount Rebels Way are challenging people to take on a 100-kilometre virtual trail from Glengariff to the wilds of Jersey Island, all from within... Well, you don't have to go within your local 5K now. You can do it anywhere you want. And you can, participants, you can log your daily kilometres and virtually track your route along the way. You can find out more at Marymount, www.marymount.ie. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, a report out has found very strong evidence that a congestion charges are effective at reducing traffic volumes and it's been recommended there in that we introduce congestion charges here in Cork City and also in Dublin. The Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Cavanagh, joins me with his views on this. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. No, How are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. Are you in favour of a congestion charge for Cork City? Not at the moment, Patricia, no. Um, it, and I don't think it's a case of being in favour of it. I mean, I'm a, I, I only heard about this in recent days, really. But um, to be quite frank and honest, I don't think Cork City is ready for that at the moment, number one. And number two, I don't think Cork City needs it. <clears throat> uh, but we're certainly not ready. If we're going to have congestion charges, um, you're effectively saying to people, you know, look, there there is another way to come into the city and to navigate your way around the city and go safely from point A to point B. But we don't have uh, viable and feasible alternatives there at the moment in terms like we have congestion charges. There are congestion charges in cities now like London and places like that. But you know, going to London, that you can just go down steps into a tube and go... Yeah, they have a very apartment. different public transport service av- so. ad- ad- available. There's just no comparison. I mean, even maybe Dublin, may- maybe because Dublin, I mean, do have the Lewis, they do have buses and, and trains yeah. that maybe, maybe there might be a case, but I can't, I can't yeah, see how. There might be a how. case for Dublin. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you because, I mean, if you go for, say, a bus in Dublin, say number 243 bus in Dublin and you just miss it, you're, you're standing at the bus stop and if there's not one coming up behind it, you might be waiting two or three minutes. Yeah. But yeah. In, in places like Cork and Limerick and Waterford and so on, uh, we don't have the regularity of service that would um, justify having um, having that sort of a system in place. Uh, we're not quite ready for it yet. Now, there, there is huge development. And as you know, um, there is a huge, um, there are huge plans for developing Cork City um, you know, in terms of getting people to live and work in the city. Uh, Lo- lots with, with, of talk this week about the pedestrianisation of, is it 17 streets? Yes, that's, that's, that's going on as we speak. Yeah. I walked past it, I go for a walk every day around lunchtime around the city just to, 
uh, keep an eye on things. Well, not to keep an eye on things, but just see what's going on. And uh, yeah, the, the work the work is ongoing now at the moment. We're pedestrianising 17 streets and um, around the city. And uh, yeah, we're trying to encourage people to come into the city and um, travel safely. Now, a lot of these now would be small side streets and yeah. so on. You know? But I, I just, I was so excited when, when I heard about this last week because I think, I, I really think it's going to give such a different feel to the city when you have those pedestrianised streets. Absolutely. And you remember, you remember yourself and I know you featured it um, on your show, Patricia, uh, last summer when we, when we started it off really up on Princess Street mm-hmm. and Cork City Council waived the, the fees for outdoor furniture <clears throat> just to see could we help the, um, the businesses there to enhance their business and get attract people into these businesses and sit outside on the street, etc. And in fairness, it worked a treat and we expanded to about 14 different locations around the city last summer. So we decided uh, to, to, to expand it even further on a permanent basis this year. And um, it's got a great reaction. And do you know what? It's We can't go away to Spain and to Europe and all these places. So let's bring Europe to bring the Euro- European ambience to our, to our city centre. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, we get let down sometimes by the, the weather. But there are plans in place, are there, for awnings and parasols? Yeah. You know, something just, you know, keep people dry. That's all you need. Well, do you know now, people, people at the end of the day, if it's summertime, people will wear their shorts and their T-shirts. And, and so that's on. terrific to see. <laughs> and make the best of what we have here because we have a beautiful city. And, uh, you know, in fairness, the people of Cork are very resilient anyway and will certainly uh, do, do everything in their power to kind of uh, make these things work. And the traders inside in the city centre, in fairness, have bought in big time to this and really have enhanced the streetscape um, you know and they, 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 they have a they give a fantastic service to, to customers that come in and sit down outside their properties and so on whether it is in Princess Street or Nalva Plunkett Street or Tucky Street or any of these streets you know yeah, and long, long may it last, long may it last. And listen, I think there'll be a big lot of staycationing and we're hoping that the yeah. summer is going to be very different and a lot of things are going to be opened back up again and it'll be very different. Listen, thanks a million for that and thanks for taking time out to talk to us today, Joe. Thanks, Patricia. Good Thank afternoon you. to you. Bye-bye. That is the Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Kavanagh. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I just to listeners, you can stop calling, texting and WhatsApping because we've got so many questions in for Peter. Not a hope of getting through uh, all of them. So you can stop particularly calling because the phone lines are getting swamped uh, with uh, John Paul. OK, gorgeous weather at the moment, um, Peter. But we've been having some frost. There's another frost forecast for tonight. Is that doing damage? Do we need to worry? Yeah, yes and no, Trish, I suppose is the, is the answer there, in that 
for the vast majority of plants that we have growing in the garden, no, it's not going to do damage. So we, we will probably get a few questions over the next couple of weeks uh, with, you know, hedges and, and new shrubs where the leaves have gone black and things like that. So any new growth that plants, shrubs will have produced in the garden uh, so far this season, that new growth is tender and that will be susceptible to frost damage. So it will blacken or maybe go brown. But that's all very superficial damage, Trish, and, and they grow out of it quick enough because while the temperatures are dropping quite low, they're not for any length of time. So it won't do any harm to those established plants. Um, the 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 Where we do need to take care is for little annual seedlings and vegetable seedlings and seed potatoes, things like that. So uh, it's far too early yet to be even thinking about your summer bedding. But if you have got some or if you've grown your own from seed or if you've bought it, uh, don't, with the sunny days that we're having now, don't be encouraged to start getting it out too early because that, if it does drop low overnight, which it will, that will be killed off. That, that, that they, they just won't survive it. So your little annual seedlings, your summer bedding seedlings, your vegetable seedlings, uh, don't dream of moving them out yet. It is going to be too cold at night and that will put pay to them. And also your seed potatoes, if you have put in your seed potatoes, uh, just take care if the foliage is up over the soil, earth up around them, maybe even throw a bit of fleece over anything like that. Um, but but the vast majority of the plants in our garden are going to be fine. Okay, so is it... It's very strange, is it to have frost at this time of the year where it's 14th of April? Well, it's 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 unusual. It's by no means unheard of. No, okay. I mean we 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 I, I hate to say it, but we've all, we, we have often got frost up right into May. Uh, but but they're they're light enough frost. They're not lasting any length yeah. of time. I yeah. mean they're, they're burnt off early in the morning, so they're not doing that much damage. No. Okay, yeah, and then the days are lovely, which is which is great. Mary and Bantry, what could be eating my rhubarb leaves? Slugs, I would say to Mary. I don't. There's no picture, so I can't say for certain. But I would say probably slugs. Uh, so do use one of the organic slug pellets. Use the the one with ferric phosphate, not the metaldehyde pellets, because they are so damaging to to local local wildlife. Um, or you could look at slug traps. You could look at barrier products. Like there's one called Slug Gone, which is a wool pellet which acts excellently as a or works excellently as a, a barrier to stop the the slugs and snails getting at the rhubarb. So I would say that's what's doing it. Or you could be like me. I've had a hedgehog in my garden for the last number of years and I haven't had a slug since. Aren't you lucky? I Aren't didn't I know blessed? that. Yeah, I didn't yeah know. the last oh, couple of years. Oh, you are blessed. I love we, you to watch. We, we discovered one night with this very unusual sound coming from the two hedgehogs. We discovered hedgehogs in our garden and then I noticed that I didn't have to put on any more slug pellets after that. They seem to be there every year, year on year. So it's terrific. Now, Breda in Ballyhay is very concerned about her holly tree. She has this holly tree. She reckons it's planted well over 60 years ago always laden with uh, berries, uh, more so last year than ever before. But last couple of months, it's shedding a lot of leaves and she's afraid of losing it. Is there anything she can do? Yeah, it's it, holly leaf blight is what it sounds like. It's a fungal infection. It's it's become it's it's a relatively new problem only over the last 20 years. But we have seen it a lot, particularly down around here over the last five or six years, even 10 years. Um, so what to do, it's, it's kind of cultural control is the first step, if you like, Patricia. Now, what that means is you, you physically remove as much of the infected material as possible. So prune off any, any growth that is dropping leaves or has any signs of infection. Like you, you might see mottling, very kind of uh, ugly looking mottling on the leaf. So that, that's a sign of it. So any, any leaves that have that mottling or they're, they're discolored at all 
uh, are there dropping the leaves prune them off okay now it's also important that you maintain good hygiene where possible and this isn't always practical or particularly around the base of a mature holly patricia that you you remove any dead or infected material from around the ground because that the spores will just go back into the soil so remove them prune off the infection then you treat the infection and again it's my, my go-to fella which is the copper sulfate which is a very good broad spectrum organic fungicide so make a solution of the the copper sulfate with water drench as much of the holly plant and the soil around it as possible and that will hope to control the leaf blight uh, and then just feed the plant feed it to keep it healthy something like the nature safe seaweed feed or something like that um then as i say you cross your fingers and yeah, hope for the best but it, that, that, it, it probably will work if you do all those steps it, you will probably most likely be successful okay let us know how you can on breathe uh, marie in cove wants to know can you slip a forest flame and what's the best time of the year to do it well, you can. Uh, you would be a bit, still a bit too early. So what you what you do with the the forest flame is, is the same as what you would do with the vast majority of our garden shrubs. Actually, it's what's called a, a nodal cutting. So you 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 semi ripe. So the semi ripe nodal cutting means that you're taking semi ripe wood, which is growth that's produced this year, but not yet, if you like. So you would do it in June or July. Take a cutting of this year's growth. Take about four with the with the forest flame. I would take about four or five inches of a cutting. The base of the cutting has to be at a node. Now, a node is just quite simply where the, the leaf meets the stem. But that's where the magic, that's the magical part of the stem, because that's where all the auxins and all the hormones are. It's at these nodes. So uh, if you if you cut between a node, that's never going to come to anything just rot. So the cutting will rot off. So the base of the cutting has to be at a node. Um, but as I say, about four or five inches in length remove what we call the terminal bud which is the topmost bud on the cutting which might be a flower bud or a leaf bud but just remove that and then remove everything trish but one or two leaves leave them on the cutting uh, and when you're removing the leaves don't peel them because you can end up peeling a bit of the bark of the cutting too and that's where and that's where infection will get in so use a scissors or very good secateurs remove all but one or two of the leaves base of the cutting will be at a node into a bit of rooting powder, into some compost. Uh, as I say, if you do that June, July, August, I would expect you to see that begin to root after four or five weeks. Okay, and says, how do you prune the stalk feathers on a pampas and how far do I prune them to? Well, the, 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 the feathers or the plumes, they're the kind of the flowers, if you like. So all you do is you, you, you follow that whole stem down to ground level. That stem itself isn't going to flower again for you. Uh, you will the, the plant, if it's, if it's all good and all healthy, will produce more flowers, but on new stems. So that stem that flowered last year, you can remove that to ground level. Okay, and then Mary from the Wild West sent in a WhatsApp that we came in in time, so we were able to get it on to uh, Peter uh, to say, Hi, Peter and Patricia. I saw this last week. Must have one. And then she's taken a photograph. Can you identify it, please? Would it be a variety of Berberus? And it's beautiful. Yes, and it is a variety of Berberus, and it is beautiful. It's Berberus darwinii, lovely evergreen Berberus with those gorgeous orange flowers, uh, and it's a stunning plant. Loved by the bees, actually. It's a good one because it flowers quite early in the year. It flowers depending on what part of the country you're in, any time really from December, January, right into May, June. Um, uh, and the bees love it at that time of the year. The pollinators love it. So it's, a, it's an important plant to grow. It's also, it's evergreen. It's quite thorny. So it's, it, it makes quite a good refuge for birds to build their nests in as well. So it's a good plant to have for, for local biodiversity. Uh, just bear in mind, the, the Darwinii will get quite large, as you can see in that photograph, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, it'll get, certainly get to seven or eight feet in height and the similar type spread. You can get dwarf forms of it. But if you have the space, it's a lovely, lovely plant to put in. 
Like the colour is just uh, stunning. Uh, could you please ask, ask Peter about black spot on roses? I've tried everything in the last two years. Sprayed, I've mulched them. I seem to be picking black spot leaves off on a daily basis. Well, this goes back to what we were talking about with the holly and the leaf blight. So, it, it, it's again, it's cultural control, so pruning off the infected growth. But with, if I take a step back, it, it's much easier to prevent plants getting a fungal infection than it is to control it when they have it. So uh, the best thing to do now is to try and prevent that. It's too early for roses to have developed black spot yet, so we can take action. So good pruning is necessary, which has hopefully been done by now. Uh, so pruning in this case, you want to keep a good open centre. You want good air circulation through that plant because if it's very congested with leaves and foliage, that's, that's going to lead to poor air circulation and the ideal conditions for the development of things like rust and black spot and mildew. So we want Want the opposite we want good air circulation so if that means pruning to all and just leaving three or four little main stems that's fine because you'll get plenty of growth from those three or four stems during the season but make sure that those three or four stems aren't facing in like crossing each other make sure they're all facing away from each other okay so good pruning uh, then drench it again with the copper sulfate mixed with water mix the, the soil around the rose and the rose itself feed it and rose is like a specific rose food and uh, they're quite hungry feeders the more you feed them the better they'll do and I would use the, the, the Gouldings it's another Irish brand the liquid Gouldings liquid rose food so feed it to keep it good and healthy to stop it getting the infection in the first place drench it with the copper sulfate prune it um, and then what I would say to you is this and this is what I've discovered over the years if it still gets black spot life is too short <laughs> take it out <laughs> take it out but you can't right. put another there. rose back in there no you can't no. no you can't not right in the same spot but you can somewhere else in the garden because there was a rose called iceberg which is a lovely white uh, floribunda rose and i absolutely adore it uh, and i tried growing it for many years but after i and this is going back quite a while now trish but after about 10 years trying to grow it it kept getting black spot I just gave up on it and I said life is too short for this took out the the, the iceberg uh, and I grow other white roses like Winchester Cathedral now and things which are don't really get it and so there are so many roses available if your one is a, is one that's prone to getting black spot bite the bullet and get rid of it yeah absolutely okay for Peter I have I planted my spuds back in March now the leaves are coming up over the earth but I've noticed yellow and black leaves will this affect the new spuds shouldn't the, 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 that's the low temperatures that I spoke of there at the start to, to be careful that we're, we are going to get low temperatures again over the next few nights that's that super, hopefully superficial damage now it's impossible for me to say that accurately without seeing the picture but I would imagine that it's just frost damage so that's why it's so important to earth up around them so when, when they're as he describes there they're just above the soil surface earth, earth up again around them uh, and I think they'll be okay Tom ha- planted a laurel hedge 12 months ago. All seems to be doing well except for one patch. I assume, says Tom, that it's some kind of bug. I've sprayed with bug spray twice and with rose clear twice, uh, but it's not doing very well. It now seems to be spreading to laurel plants on either side. Could Peter recommend what it could be and what I can do about it? Well, the very first thing I would say to Tom is you've sprayed poison on the ground four times without really knowing why or what you're treating. So be very careful. Like these are nasty, nasty chemicals like that you're spraying onto the, the, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't dose a poisonous medicine into yourself if the doctor didn't tell you it was necessary. So we'd have to be careful. Like just to say I poured bug spray and I poured rose clear on it four times over the year. 
like we have to be more responsible than that. And I'm sorry, no, that's not you didn't want me to start into a rant, but we have to be more responsible than that. Like it could be fungal, so we're putting insecticides which are killing the bees and ladybirds onto the hedge and having no effect at all. If send me in a photograph and I'd love to have a look at it to see if I can advise because just to say a bit of it's wrong and it might be a bug infection, I can't say from that. Okay. It could we, be nutrients. We, it might actually, just need a bit I, of plant food. Yeah, we have a photograph here on WhatsApp. I'll get John Paul to send it on um, afterwards uh, to you. Okay, let me go to some of the other texts coming in. Hi, uh, Peter. Do you have to water bare root roses once planted? Yes, definitely. And in fact, any bare root plants, uh, your kind of window to plant them is up to, I suppose, really the last few weeks, up to the end of March. Um, but yeah, they will require, they're not in their own little root ball, if you like, a potted plant would be. Uh, so you will have to water them well now uh, and throughout this growing season, not forever, but just for the first growing season, Trish, until they get well established. Uh, but yeah, do pay attention to watering them. Liz says, uh, hi, Dermot. Ron Gardner, it's Peter. Uh, can I put my yucca <laughs> plant outside now? They've got very big for my conservatory. Can you move them outside? Ooh, depends on the yucca, Patricia. If they're doing well in the conservatory, I certainly wouldn't move them out in one go. Okay, so the reason I'm hesitating is there's some yucca varieties which won't survive outside in Ireland. They will in Spain or Portugal, but not here. Um, then there are some varieties which will survive outside here. So that's why I said it depends on the variety. So there's one yucca flaccida and yucca gloriosa, which will survive outside here. But if it's not that variety, or one of those varieties, or species rather, then uh, they won't be hardy outside. So even if it is yucca gloriosa or yucca flaccida, one of the ones which will survive outside here, if it's been grown in a conservatory up to now, it'd be too big a shock to move it out in one go, particularly when we might get to zero degrees, you know what I mean? So you'd have to, even if it's an outdoor variety, you'd have to acclimatise it by moving it out for a few hours each day. And I wouldn't even begin to do that until probably middle of May. Uh, but first things first, send us in a picture and we'll see if it's an indoor or an outdoor one. OK, hi, uh, Eileen and Clan. What tree, Peter, would you recommend to plant as a Christmas tree in a coastal garden? I would like to plant a tree that would give a nice shape for Christmas time and then be able to put decorations uh, on it over the Christmas period. Thanking you. Lovely. Um, I, I think I would probably go for, and this is what's most commonly grown as the cut Christmas tree nowadays. It's the Nordman fir or Abies, A-B-I-E-S, Abies Nordmaniana. Um, it's a quick Google for Nordman, N-O-R-D-M-A-N, Nordman fir, uh, and that'll take our coast, coastal conditions and it, 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 it gets the perfect Christmas tree. Like we used to, we used to go, and they're still available, the, you know, the noble, noble fir, isn't it? Um, but they don't always get, give you that perfect shape, whereas the Nordman fir gives you that, that Christmas card, Christmas tree it shape does, very, yeah. very naturally with very little pruning. So that's what I'd go for in that situation. Lovely idea. And Mary has a chrysanthemum in a pot and she's noticed it has some green fly on the leaves. What can she do to save it? What I would do, in the first instance, actually, if it's not too much of a trish, I'd just get a scissors and remove the, the couple of shoots uh, that have the green fly on it and throw them in the compost bin. And that, that might be enough to take care of it. If not, you can you could do one of two things. You could give it a drench of the garlic wash, which we've mentioned in our, many times in this programme, Trish, where you, where you mix garlic with water, uh, water it onto the, the plant, and it makes the plant unpalatable to the green fly. Or there's another thing which is very, very good, and it's a product called grazers. So grazers do a range of of environmentally sound products where they, they work with the plants to, to fight off insects. So it's they're all based on different formulations of calcium. But grazers do a product which is for caterpillars, uh, 
uh, and aphids. I think it's called grazers. I think it's um, for cabbage whitefly and caterpillars. But that also works very, very well against green fly and aphids. So get yourself some of the grazers for aphid. Uh, spray it on the plant. It won't kill anything. Uh, so I won't be giving out to you for, for, for spraying poisons. Um, but it won't kill anything, but it'll make the plant totally resistant to, to the green flow. Okay, and some quick ones. Eileen planted Grislinia hedge last Saturday. How much watering does it require? And when will she be trimming top and sides? Uh, she only planted it last Saturday, is yeah, that right? yeah. Last Saturday. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be trimming. Yeah, I wouldn't be trimming it till probably start of next spring, next next February, uh, if if even then, if it needs to take the, the top and sides down. Then you could do it in September this year if you wanted, but I'd probably leave it till the spring. Water, it's a hard. You can't just say, unfortunately, it needs a pint a day or anything like that. You kind of need to go with your gut. So, so it, it will. You will. You probably can't overwater it now coming into the spring summer. So, err on the side of a bit too much water, I would say, than too little. And uh, listener wants to know: Is it too early to set flowers, pansies, violas, and other summer plants at this? stage i'm assuming they're worried about the frost yeah then they're right to be worried so in fact with pansies and violas you're probably going to be okay because they tend to be universals now so they should be safe enough but any any other summer flowering plants you're hanging basket plants bedding plants absolutely too early for another few weeks yet okay we gotta wrap it up there listen thank you for that peter have a lovely week and you thanks Trish and we'll talk again and next week that is Peter Dowdle the irishgardener.com and keep a look at us I saw him last uh, Friday where he does the live Facebook uh, Q&A session it's really good okay that's where I've got to leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock and our apologies that we didn't get to all of Peter's questions better luck next week Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsey sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.